so so I, I hope it's okay to you guys and to listeners that I'm, I'm probably going to geek out pretty hard here and it's going to get a little bit nerdy, but we're going to do Sweet. a little bit of a masterclass um, on Sherry. Okay. So Sherry is the wine that I am going to pair with, with life unwasted uh, second pairing. Right. So in, in, in particular within Sherry, um, there's a there's a sherry called Palo Cortado. This is Cumin. This is Caleb. Welcome to Life Unwasted, a podcast where we look into our past to discover our present. Earlier this season, we had a guest named Keith. He was in dorm five with me at Faith Academy in the Philippines. This is a show about missionary kids, and uh, that's who we're talking to. In that episode, we referenced one of Keith's best friends in life, Tim. And today on the show, we have Tim. What's great is Tim kicked off season one, or I'm sorry, season two. And so if you want to get a little more information on Tim and hear more about his story, uh, go back to the first episode of season two and you can you can hear about Tim or you can hear Tim tell his story. You know, after we talked with Keith, there were a lot of things that kind of came up in that episode for me, just about dorm life. And uh, I reached out to Tim and I thought, man, we got to close this season with Tim because uh, I don't know their their friendship had a big impact on me in the dorm. They were the big dorm brothers that kind of uh, looked after me, but also I got into a lot of trouble because of them. I think <laughs> they were always pushing me to do something crazy, and I just always said yes. So, Tim, I don't know if you could introduce yourself, give folks a little bit of background uh, on you. Go ahead and kick off the show. All right. Well, thank you for having me back. I have not yet. Had, or I have not heard um, Keith's episode at this point, so I'm not sure what you guys talked about, but <laughs> I'm super excited about that. I, class of class of 98, uh, Faith Academy, um, dorm five, and yeah, you know, since, since um, Faith Academy, I went to school in Grand Rapids, Michigan at... Calvin College or Calvin University now, I guess. Spent some time there. I studied music. Uh, left Michigan, moved over to uh, Washington D.C., which is where I am today. Um, since moving here, I, you know, did a few different things in mu- with music um, that didn't really pan out uh, the way I had originally planned my life, and um, somehow stumbled into the wine business, right? The, um, like wine and spirits. Uh, last, last episode, or the last time we did this, um, which was a while ago, basically, um, I had, I shared a little bit of my story. I had I'd been in the wine business for a long time, uh, 15 years or so. And, um, you know, I'm a certified sommelier. I'm a I worked for a, I worked for a large um, wine retailer, and, um, you know, I managed fine wine, I guess, program for the company. 
um, I, I was very successful in my career there, but just kind of um, was working in kind of a toxic environment where the company culture um, wasn't great, all this stuff. Uh, and it was, I was there for a long time, um, you know, hoping things would get better and just never did. Meanwhile, I um, shared that I had some big family uh, things going on. Uh, I had, I was taking care of my mother-in-law who had uh, Alzheimer's and um, we were, I think the last time I was about to transition her into a nursing home. Uh, actually, the last time we talked, I, I had quit my job, uh, I believe. It had been like three days since I had quit my job or something like that. And uh, I was about to embark on this um, six, you know, hopefully six or seven months sabbatical of uh, not working and trying to deal with a lot of life trauma that had um, that just kind of was unaddressed for a while. Uh, a lot of workplace trauma, a trauma from having a um, my mother-in-law with Alzheimer's living with me, like my family. Uh, my kids were a little bit messed up from that whole experience and all that. So we kind of just, um, uh, with the support of my wife, we kind of just pressed pause, I guess, or hit reset or whatever the right um, analogy is here. Um, and kind of, uh, I was able to pull myself out of a, a kind of a, what felt like a bad situation, a downward spiral and kind of um, embark on like embark on this time of healing and reflection. And that's kind of uh, right when we had the interview last time. That was an amazing, wow. amazing recap. The, I, the thing that struck me was that you used the word trauma. And I'm wondering if that's a word you would have used a, a year ago to describe how you were feeling and what you were going through. Um, certainly not. Um, you know, I think I may, had, I may have told you guys this, but um, I think it was early on after discovering your guys's, um, the podcast, there was a, there was an episode with Ian on there where he, he talked about identifying life trauma and, and all this stuff. And that, uh, episode really, um, impacted me in a way that I had to, it, it caused me to really like stop and think about, um, you know, about life and just the experiences or the situations I was in. And it really gave me like the, um, I guess the ability to see um, just the, the see what was happening in the situation, whether it was at work or whether it was at home or whatever it was. And, um, and just being able to identify it was super helpful. So um, yeah, that was, I mean, that wasn't, that was under a year ago, you know? So yeah, yeah really before it's that. It's been six months. Yeah, it's been six months. Yeah. And, and so Ian, Ian's episode was uh, very early on in season one. Feel free to go back to listen to it. The audio is, is pretty bad and we, we probably need to have Ian back, back on. However, Ian's ep Ian grew, uh, grew up in the dorm very young. I think he was 10 when he started in the dorm. And, and I think that's similar to your experience. You started very early on in boarding school. And I think oh. we said, we said we're faith Academy. For those of you listening, it, this is a, um, a faith Academy in Manila, Philippines. Um, but you, you were fairly young when you. Yeah, actually, uh, what's interesting is um, 
Ian's first year in the dorms was also my first year in the dorm, and we were in the same dorm together. So I wow. was a seventh grader. Mm-hmm. He was in fourth grade, which is so crazy to mm, go to yeah. boarding school in fourth grade. But yeah, we were in the same dorm together. And it, I didn't even connect those dots because um, I didn't even realize it was the same Ian when I listened to the <laughs> to the podcast. Wow. So it, was, it was pretty wild figuring that out. Wow. Earlier this year, we had a um, Rift Valley Academy uh, MK on, which is in Kenya. Uh, her name is Holly, and that episode is is titled Holly. And she started in the dorm at 10. In Rift Valley Academy, everyone's a dorm kid. Unless you're a teacher's kid or an administrator kid, it's 100% dormies. And you know, she talked about just the hypervigilance of never really having a space that's hers or never really having a place to just like, like, you know, you go like normally you go home at the end of the day and your home environment hopefully is where you rest and recover and feel safe. And for her, some of that hypervigilance of just never having a, a spot, you know, she would find spots on campus to just like hide and, and get a little bit of alone time. When she was describing that, I, I very much thought of you and Ian. Mm. Yeah. Wait, how, wait, how so me and Ian or? Yeah, you and Ian, just just because you started so early on, because you were yeah. so young. Yeah, I'm. I'm. When when you think about that time now, I don't know what what comes up for you. You know, um, a few a, a couple a few years ago, um, I guess a couple years ago now, uh, my father passed, and that was um, a, what, after he passed away. Um, you know, I had a lot of time to think and reflect as well. And it really, um, some of the stuff I thought about was a, a lot, you know, um, was really a bit just about being in, in boarding school and not being around uh, family and, and and feeling like I missed out on a lot of um, time with, with family, right? I mean, so I think there was, I don't know if I would, there, it's not like the same kind of trauma as like, or a same level of trauma as something terrible happened, but um, just there was, there's always been this like feeling of just not uh, being with family that I think um, has had, a, had an impact. And, you know, and I think that that has had an impact in, in ways that are perhaps um, positive in the sense that it's, you know, taught me to become very independent and uh, confident with it, in myself um, in, in, what I'm able to accomplish or whatever it is like that. But it's also, um, man, it's also, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I mean, it was through my teenage years and I guess a lot of people don't really like build bonds with their parents during that time. (laughs) But um, there was certainly a sense of wishing that I had had more time at home and uh, with, with my father, um, you know, I mean, I had a good relationship, uh, uh, sorry, I didn't have a bad relationship with him at all growing up, but I probably had a, not a, not a really strong relationship just because we were apart and we didn't really, we weren't the type to like pick up the phone and call all the time and Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. So um, it was certainly that um, ministry first, um, family second kind of thing, uh, even, but um, yeah, but I, you know, I think for me, I just wish there was um, 
I had more time with with them at home. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I think about that with with my kids because, um, I so, you know, I very much relate to what you said. I um, didn't attach uh, to my my parents um, like I think other kids did, and while I know that they love me, like there's an undoubted, I have no doubt that my, my dad loves me, but there, there were some years there that we just weren't around each other. I mean, there was like a year and a half, uh, a little under a year and a half in high school where I never saw my dad. He was traveling in Cambodia when I was, when I came home on uh, breaks one time and, and it, it, we, we were just ships passing in the night I was working in Alaska during the summers in high school to make money, um, working on the slime line, gutting salmon. And uh, uh, we just never saw each other. And you can't get that time back. And so while I know my dad love, loves me, I, I absolutely know that, you know, it, here we are later in life. And, you know, I, I don't want my kids to experience that thing, that same thing. I want my kids to have a strong attachment to their dad. Yeah. And, um, so, you know, I, I, I took the last six months off and, um, I was able to spend a lot of time, uh, with the kids and that was probably, probably the highlight of the six months. Right. I mean, mm. um, I have a son who is two years old, um, or two years and change. And, you know, it was, he, he went through some, um, big developmental milestones, um, like starting to really, talk really well and put together big, you know, bigger sentences and all this stuff and, and, and identify emotions and all that kind of stuff. And it's, it's been great to be able to um, be right there with them during that time. Uh, my daughter, who is seven um, in first grade also, we got to spend a lot of time together too. So that's been awesome, you know, and certainly um, the past of being in boarding school and not being around family certainly had an impact on how I, want to, to be there for my kids, uh, more. And I think it's, yeah, it's, it's been great. Let me ask you this, Tim, in the past six months, what has been the biggest takeaway from you listening to all the different episodes of our podcast besides Ian's episode? Oh man. Oh, there's, there's so many good ones. Um, No, I, I mean, so, so, <laughs> so um, some of you guys may know uh, or, or not. Um, uh, I'm an avid uh, angler, right? Or fisher, fisherman or fisher person. What I love to do is um, while I'm fishing, listen to podcasts. And, you know, I've been on my kayak, you know, on the river, out in the water uh, with, you know, listening to this podcast. And like, I'm waiting for fish. I'm like weeping sometimes. <laughs> and like, because I'm like listening to these stories that are so, you know, heart wrenching and, or people's experiences that are, that, that really just resonate deeply. Um, and, you know, there's other, there's other like people fishing around and I'm like, you know, I have my sunglasses on, thankfully, so no one can see my tears, my eyes well up with tears or something, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, because I'm like, and, you know, it's crazy. I, I think the biggest takeaway really is just an overall g- general uh, takeaway, but it's it's more just how 
people like who whoever it is that comes on that is you know i may know of them i may not know them at all um they may be way younger than me they may be older than me but there seems to be this like um strong um relatability and connection um just from hearing the stories and um it makes um just the questions you guys ask the stories you guys pull out from from people i think just really brings out this sense of uh some you know it, it makes me it makes me feel that um there is there you know we're not alone and there's other um mm. There, there's so much, um, there's something, and there's something very unique about being an MK and being, you know, and it's not, so, and, and maybe it's something that rather that we should, that we, you know, I think a lot of us MKs who are, um, who have some, some issues to have, have some trauma or whatever from the experiences, which is probably most MKs. There's something um, that makes, uh, each of us so unique and in this group of um, people very unique and special and being able to I think being able to have had these experiences being able to um, have a certain perspective on life and being able to process all this um, you know um, wherever whatever uh, stage people are in uh, you know in life it's a super unique and special thing. And yeah. rather than run from it, I think it's, I think I'm learning to embrace it, I guess, more. And, mm. um, yeah. Because it, it, it gives us this, yeah, this, there's something really special about it, you know? Mm. Yeah. Anyways, that's kind of what I've, my big takeaway is from the podcast. Let's talk about wine. Last time you were on, well, no, you gave us. Yeah. Yeah, you gave us the sorry wine pairing of her choice, Chateau yeah, right. du Pop. And yeah. today, I've uh, you gave us a hint that you have a new wine pairing for us. I do, I do. Um, uh, just can I give a quick update on just okay? Like, um, I won't, I won't talk long on on just where where life has brought me over the last six months. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and Hey guys, I I'm going to do one more pause. Okay. <laughs> I want to say, I want to say one thing, just like you were talking about how specific and um, the MK experiences. And I totally agree with that. I, I, th- I was talking with Adam, who is our, one of our, fir- we've had two guests on who's, who's Adam, our very first episode. He's been on several times. He's a soil scientist. And he was talking, trying to relate the MK experience to um, like microclimates. <laughs> you know, of course he's a scientist. <laughs> and in between, you know, in between different climates, there's like these zones where um, like think about brackish water creatures, you know, it's not salt water, it's not fresh water. And that, that that's where MKs live and they'll never be part of the ocean and they'll never be part of the river. Um, it is its own thing. And I, I, I so relate to that because even within the third culture kid world, um, the MK experience is very specific. And I, like you said, um, Tim, I ran from it for so long and embracing it and putting my arms around it, around it and accepting it has brought a lot of healing. So let's, let's do that update. And then, and then cumin to your point, um, you know, we do, we do have some, uh, wine business to take care of tonight. Yeah. 
Um, so I'll, I'll just zip through it. Uh, yeah, no. Yeah. Last time um, we talked, I had mentioned that I think I was about three days uh, post quitting my job. Today, I am on day three of my new job. <laughs> okay. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. Um, basically, um, you know, during the time I, um, you know, I really spent like about first three months really trying to not do anything. I had some people, uh, some headhunters come my way. And um, I, I was really, you know, I, mean, I told myself that I would take every every call and every lead and follow through. But it was too early. Uh, I just needed, I needed a break. Right. So I, first three months, I, I, I did not do much um, except um, spend time with the family, um, rest fish. Uh, I don't know, just and rest some more and watch TV. I don't know. Just like re- literally just like be on like resting mode for vacation mode for like three months. Right. And it was great. Cause I just needed that time to like, to reset a little bit. Um, you know, after about three months, I started, you know, my job hunt, right? And I knew it wasn't going to be something that happened right away. Um, and, you know, I thought about, I started getting a lot of anxiety because, you know, the if, when you're at a place for so long, um, I, I don't know, I started having feelings of like, you know, are my skills relevant outside of the, the, the job I had, uh, the, the company I was in, all this stuff, you know, I, I'm sure it's pretty pretty common anxiety for people who are looking for jobs. Um, and it just was a little tough. And I went through, a, a, you know, applied for a billion jobs, um, stuff that I wasn't even interested in just to like, feel, feel like I was doing stuff. And then uh, I decided that like, first, what, what do I want to do in life? Right. As from professionally. Right. And I kind of identified that, which for me was um, import wine. Right. I want to import wine at some point in my life. Right. I, decided that I wanted to work for a company that has um, people who are like-minded as me, who share the same values as me. And this is basically like everything that my previous company was not, right? Uh, A place that had like a really good company culture, a place that Mm -hmm. is really passionate about product, um, the um, whatever, all this stuff, uh, like-minded company. And I, you know, I found this company. It's, um, and there's a friend of mine who runs it. And I just basically approached them and said, Hey, this is, um, this is, I, I believe in what you guys do. I want to, um, work with you guys and this is what I can bring to the table. And we had this, like, uh, I actually just flew, I flew down to Florida to, to, to see this guy and made my pitch. They weren't even hiring, um, made my pitch, uh, over dinner, opened some really nice wines <laughs> just to nice. grease the wheels mm-hmm. a little bit. <laughs> Um, but, but basically, um, it res you know, my pitch resonated with them. And, um, a month later I was, um, they, they made me an offer that, uh, that was, that was, that was, that worked. Um, so, um, I accepted and I'm on day three. Um, this, the company is, a focuses on spirits, really hyper artisanal boutique spirits, um, that a lot of stuff that most people have never heard of, but if you sipped it it would be absolutely life-changing like in Mm. in the first sip you know stuff that was mind-blowing and um it's uh they're they're super excited to have me on board because um my i come from a retail background and and they're from on more of an import side and and i'm kind of bridging the gap that they um 
for them. And it's, you know, hopefully we'll be able to scale the business and all that. So that's, that's what's happened. Uh, oh, the big part is my mother-in-law during that time, we transitioned my mother-in-law into a nursing home in Singapore. It actually went as smooth as it possibly could have, right? It was, I'll, I'll spare you the details, but she got into uh, a nursing, a really good nursing home that's subsidized by the government. And um, she, you know, her, her condition is still deteriorating, but the situation that she is in is the best that we could have hoped for. Um, really uh, good on that. And as far as family goes, um, you know, uh, I think we had a really good last six months as a family, um, just spending a lot of time together and, and all that. So, I mean, my daughter's uh, seven going on 17. She is uh, starting to have, um, you know, friendship drama and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, it's all part <laughs> of the deal and it's, it's all good. So, yeah. So that's, you know, that's the life update. Yeah. Part of, part of why we're, we're recording these episodes now is we're kind of in the middle of our lives here. And this phase of life is so busy and there's so many big decisions that we have to make. It'll be interesting to listen to this you know, 40 years from now, right? I'm wondering though, you were in a very toxic work environment and something switched, you know, something related to your, your healing, your mental health journey, just there was a light switch that went off. What, what was that? Yeah, no, it was, um, it was really um, based around No, it it really was based around being uh, identifying that I was in an unhealthy situation. And like I said before, identifying the trauma I was getting from work. Right. And Mm -hmm. uh, once I identified that, I was like this, it's I need to pull myself out of this. Right. Um, Yeah. So that was important to because, you know, it started with, hey, I'm, I'm realizing that we're having trauma with my family is having trauma with my mother-in-law mm-hmm. I'm realizing that I'm have I have some trauma issues like that I, that's undealt with um unaddressed from earlier in life I, I'm you know all this stuff like realizing this stuff and then I'm like hey I'm there's like so much workplace trauma that is happening I have like a, a, a boss who is just you know, I've had bad boss after bad boss uh, over the years. Um, I had this new boss who was just terrible and treated people horribly. And it was just the company itself was just not, you know, in line with any of my values. And it was just being able to identify all that. And I was like, you know, it's just time to leave. And, and, yeah. and credit. But, but for years, why, why did you put up with it for years? You know, like why, why that moment? I mean, why was that moment the moment that you said that's I'm done? What what changed inside of you? Yeah, I mean, I think it was, you know, I've always thought that the right thing to do in life, and and this is this might be a cultural thing, and or or, or I don't know, maybe. Um, so we, th- my my father was always into. I don't know if this is a thing, but I always call it like perseverance theology. Really big on this concept of persevering right and and I, to me it feels at human i don't know if you you relate to this but it 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 seemed like a very korean thing uh to me where um perseverance um was was good right and and, and that was like a value a core value of uh, my family growing up right so mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was always taught persevere, persevere, um, and better things will happen. And, you know, and it's better to stick it out in a tough situation rather than 
uh, jump ship, right? I don't know, you know, and I and I kind of like I had a, I had a moment uh, about thinking about that where I was I got really angry about it because you know I have friends who um, jump change jobs like four times a year, but every time they get they land a higher paying gig and somehow in a year they're making you know fifty thousand dollars more than they did they did a year ago by just like starting a new job and quitting starting a new job and quitting you know or whatever and i would always like be super annoyed about it and 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 i think that is annoying i still do think that's annoying but there is something to be said about pulling yourself out of a bad situation, right? Like being able to identify the situation you're in and taking action on it. And I think that's really hard for a lot of people to do. It was really hard for me to do, but it just kind of got to a point where it was um, it, it was either that or I felt like I was going to start spiraling out into a dark place. So yeah. um, I was able to kind of make that uh, move. So, yeah. Yeah. It's it's hard to know. It's hard to know. Uh, you know, is it is it cultural? Is it generate your Gen X? You know, that's like one of the trademarks of Gen X too. Is you know, buckle down and do the work. I do think though, growing in, I'm going to relate this back to my own experience. You know, so much of our experience as MKs was buckle down, don't complain. You know, I too, I have been in the same job since 2005 the exact same job and i've had i've had really good experiences and i've had really tough experiences at work but the bad experiences i'm able to just totally disassociate from it's like i i can just compartmentalize that and for a long time i had a hard time setting boundaries uh or or it was partly the way i viewed myself i i just said oh i can take it i can oh you know it's not that big of a deal. And I just dismissed it. And, oh, you know, that's just a bad situation. And I, I do think there's something related to the way that we grew up, or at least in my, my experience where you're along for the ride, that, that suffering is for the greater good. And I, you know, I work in nonprofit now and, yeah. and sometimes it's like, well, that's just the way it is a nonprofit bucket buckle up. Yeah. I don't know. I don't yeah. know. Yes. It's not so much as uh, cultural in terms of nations. It's the Protestant work ethic. You stick it in there until the end. Mm. It's funny because the last wine pairing, and we can segue into the wine pairing thing, was kind of the top where the vines had to struggle a lot and it Mm -hmm. produced more complexity. And that's kind of what we're we're talking about, I guess. Um, right now can you tell us the proper pronunciation because this came up in the keys keith episode and i keep saying shots enough to pop and i know i'm murdering that That's but that was close. if you it's, it's if pretty you, close it's pretty close when you were on last season we asked you what the wine pairing would be for this um for this show and and maybe tell us a little bit about that and transition into what you yeah. you have a new a new pairing for the show yeah, so Chateauneuf de Pop is the pronunciation. It really means um, the castle of the Pope, because um, down in Avignon, in France, is it's right around there is Chateauneuf de Pop, and the Pope would would vacation 
to Avignon and then to a, a, a big castle that was in Chateauneuf du Pape. Um, so that's that's kind of why uh, th- that's why the region is called Chateauneuf du Pape. Um, but the region the reason I I presented it as a pairing for the episode was because the the soil type uh, in Chateauneuf du Pape is actually not what we traditionally think about as soil. It's um, it's an ancient riverbed. So if you can think of uh, stones and boulders and pebbles and rocks that are, you know, fist size to even maybe up to uh, football size, or um, it's it's all that. There's no like the brown soil that um, that uh, we think of, and it goes down. Um, probably, I think they were saying in some places up to like eight or nine meters deep uh, of that kind of rock. And and it's literally like just a pile of rocks. It's not rocks in soil or anything like that. It's just like literally just rocks. And um, somehow, I don't know why, but someone planted some vines there, you, uh, you know, a uh, long, long time ago. And these, uh, and people figured out that even in those conditions, the vines, uh, the roots will, will find their way through rock um, eight meters, nine meters, 10 meters down into uh, the soil, the subsoils. And, but because they have to, tr- the, the vines have to fight and struggle so hard to get to reach um, water and nutrients down there, the, the fruit that is produced is, uh, and, and consequently the wine that is produced from that fruit um, is ultra complex and, um, and rich mm-hmm. and delicious, right? So that was, the, the analogy there was struggle and, and the, ex- the experience from the vines uh, impacts um, the, the outcome. The struggle and experiences people have can, can lead to something very complex and beautiful at the end, right? So that was so, kind of- so before, before we get to the new wine, can you relate that image back to the last six months or the last year of your life and what that struggle and what that fruit has been? I think the struggle for me has, um, I mean, if, you know, I mean, I just started a new, a new job and and I'm embarking on a new journey here. So that's really at the forefront of my mind. Um, I think, you know, the last 15 years of my professional life has been a total grind. It's been, um, while it's been, uh, I've, I've done well um, in the company that I was in and um, it's been, every bit of it was, um, was, it was a struggle and a challenge, right? Um, there were a lot of things about the company that I didn't agree with, but I just kind of stuck through. There was a lot of, uh, cultural things that I didn't, um, workplace culture that I didn't love that I kind of stuck through. And there was just a lot of just, um, challenges, um, through that, but being, having gone through that, um, has made me, uh, much more um, exp- has given me uh, so many more experiences um, that I guess uh, equip me to to handle whatever is thrown my way, right? Uh, when it comes uh, to work or whether you know, actually, even in life, right? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've learned uh, so much about working with people. I've learned so much about you know how to lead uh, from through bad experiences, and it's just these are all things that have just um, I, I definitely would not have. Uh, learned uh, and um, become good at if I hadn't gone through the challenges that I, that I did uh, for the last, uh, whatever, decade and a half or so. So I mean, that's kind of, yeah. 
And now yeah. moving I mean, on yeah. to the it's it's amazing to have the fruit, but the struggle fucking sucks. Yeah. Right? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So this is this is gonna be um this is this is you know, actually the takeaways is, is gonna kind of be in line with uh what we're talking about here as well. Um yeah. but the wine, so so I, I hope it's okay to you guys and to listeners that I'm, I'm probably going to geek out pretty hard here and it's going to get a little bit nerdy, but we're going to do Sweet. a little bit of a masterclass on Sherry. Okay. So Sherry is the wine that I am going to pair with, with life unwasted uh, second pairing. Right. So and, and in particular within Sherry, uh, there's a, there's a Sherry called Paolo Cortado. And I'm going to explain a lot of this, but I'm going to, I know we don't have a ton of time and this is probably, so I'm going to zip through a lot of this, but, you know, hopefully you, your guys' eyes don't glaze over and people don't, don't turn off because um, it's going to, because, and the reason I, I, I'm laughing is because Sherry is probably one of the most unfashionable uh, beverages of choice today. When people think about Sherry, they think about something their grandmother drank, something gross and sweet. And that's not at all the sherry I'm talking about. Um, there's actually this magical world of sherry that um, is, is uh, on the, you know, I don't know. It's, it's, just, it's basically that nobody knows about, right? And, um, and people who know it, love it. And people who, but most people don't get there, right? And so I'm going to talk about that real quick. Um, and what what is sherry? Sherry is a fortified wine from Jerez, uh, Spain, right? So southern uh, part of Spain, uh, where like Andalusia and all that those areas are, um, south of Sevilla. If you guys have been to Spain, um, there are uh, many different styles of sherry, but they. Sh- the core process of, of winemaking in sherry, it, it remains the same, right? The, the primary grape that, um, that, is, that sherry is made from is the, the, the dominant grape is, is Palomino Fino, right? So Palomino is a super neutral grape. It doesn't have any strong flavors or characteristics. It's just, it makes a kind of a blah wine, right? Initially, right? Kind of think about like, um, you know, uh, if you guys have had uh, Sauvignon Blanc, there's like a strong citrusy note, sometimes like a grapefruit note or whatever it is. A Palomino does not have that. It's it's super neutral. It's, it's a little bit more like Pinot Grigio, but even more neutral than that. It's just kind of like alcoholic neutral, no flavor, right? <laughs> so the soil in Jerez is Alberiza soil. It's, I guess it's like most in some areas it's up to like 70% chalk or whatever, but it's, it's totally white. The ground is like literally white. There's also a little bit of limestone and sand and clay mixed in there, but because of the nature of the soil there, it, it retains water, right? So Southern Spain gets super hot. It's like the sun is baking and it's like a desert climate in some areas, but because the soil is chalk and li- and, and mostly chalk and limestone. It, it, they, it, it retains water and the, and the vines, even in the hot sun, have uh, access to, to water uh, that way. Um, the ground is, like I said, is totally white. It reflects the sun rays back up to the grapes and on the vines, and it, it, it allows optimal ripeness to happen um, in, uh, in the vineyards, right? So, yeah, so there's this 
first thing that happens with sherry is that there is is this very plain, uninteresting wine is made, right? Just like any other wine. Think of a super neutral wine. Uninteresting, uh, uninteresting, and um, and it's intentional, right? Um, so what happens next is really where the magic is. There's a, um, a system they use called the Solera system, right? So I'm going to need you guys to um, use your imagination a little bit. But if you... Think about a bunch of big wine barrels laying on the ground on their side, right? Say like 10 in a row, right? Side by side. Then on top of that, there's another layer stacked up on top, kind of like pyramided up a little bit. And then another layer on top of that. And there's basically like four layers of barrels. And these barrels are large barrels. Um, And so... Say, let's just pretend there's about like a total of approximately 40 barrels or so, right? Let's say it's like a run of 10 on the bottom, a run of, it's probably like a run of nine in the next layer up, but basically pyramids up a little bit, right? Are you guys still with me? Yeah, Yeah. we are. We are. When you said you were going to nerd it out, you you are spot on. This is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. So the bottom layer is called the Solera, right? So what happens in the bottom layer is... They, they fill the barrels with the wine, right? Uh, with the original, with original wine. That's going to be the oldest wine uh, in sherry. So sherry is, is a non-vintage wine. It's a, it's um, meaning that it, it's a mix of different years, the different ages of wine, right? So a lot of wines are like, if you get a cab from Napa, it'll be like 2021 Napa Cabernet or whatever, all the, all the wine, um, or majority of the wine in that bottle is from 2021, uh, harvested in 2021. Um, sherry is not that way. So it's a non-vintage because um, they're blending multiple years, right? So the bottom is the oldest wine. The next layer they fill with a younger wine. It might be, it could be the next harvest um, or it could be um, many years later, um, but either way, it's a younger wine. Then the next layer up is even younger than that. And the next layer up is the youngest, right? So there's four layers of different aged uh, wines, right? Um, the, you know, it's Solera in the bottom. There's Criaderas in the middle and Sober Tablas on top. Anyways, whatever. Um, so every year or whenever they decide to, to bottle sherry, they fill from the bottom, from the Solera layer. Okay. And so the Solera layer... And by the way, these these barrels are not full. They're only about like half full, let's say, right? Approximately. The bottles are always filled from the bottom, right? So you fill the bottles from the, from the bottom layer, the Solera, and that uh, kind of empties a little bit of the wine. And then what they do is they take the wine that is a little bit younger, and then they they pump it down into a little bit of it into the barrels below, right? And then the, so it's going down one layer, right? Does that make sense? So they have the oldest wine, you're getting a little bit of the younger wine mixed into it. And then that younger wine that was mixed into it, there's still some in that barrel. They get the younger wine above it and mix it down into that barrel, that layer. And then they mix the top layer down into the second layer, right? And so this keeps happening. So basically over the years, what happens is that the very bottom layer, the Solera has that once had the original vintage, right? Let's say it's like a a 20 year old wine in there. It's now been mixed with 
some 18 year old, some, some 19, uh, some, some 17 year old wines, but basically it keeps getting diluted little by little, but the, all these wines are still aging. Cause this is like a long process. This is decades um, that, that go by um, when I'm in what I'm talking about here, you get this blend of something that is really old um, that can be really old. Like even um, they have hundred year old Soleras out there. Right. So wines that have a little bit of the original wine and a little bit of younger wine and sometimes even uh, a lot of really young wine in there so you get this wine that is fresh and old at the same time it has character characteristics of both right but and i know this is like getting really down um into the weeds but let's step away from that for just one second because what's happening in the barrel is actually also very relevant uh, in each barrel, right? So I'd mentioned that the barrels were only like half filled or whatever. In the barrel, there is this crazy thing that happens. So there's two types of, two categories of sherry. There's biologically aged sherry and oxidative, um, oxidatively aged sherry. And the biological sherry, basically what happens there is all the yeast, there's all this like ambient yeast and uh, in, in, the, in these like holding um, warehouses or, or cellars, right? Um, and it starts to form a layer on top of the wine as it sits there. It, it looks nasty, actually. It looks, it looks really gross. It, um, but there's this layer of like yeast and what looks like mold or something like that starts forming on top of the wine on top of the, um, because there's, there's oxygen in there. It can get like two inches thick or something, you know, and, and, and this huge layer forms. Right. And what happens there is that it, it forms a whole layer over the wine so that the wine, the liquid does not see any oxygen anymore because there is a whole layer um, blocking the oxygen. Um, so the, the wines stay super fresh even um, over over year, many years, the wines are still very fresh, but they take on a lot of flavors from the yeast. And um, and that, that layer is called floor, F-L-O-R. And, but because it has this yeasty, um, it, it picks up yeasty flavors, like aromas of like bread, dough, um, green apple cheese or something like that, right? Um, but it picks up these like, but it still remains very fresh. Then there's oxidative aging in sherry. And the, that floor that we just talked about cannot survive when alcohol levels hit 17% or more. So what they do is they will spike the sherry with uh, brandy and uh, get it over 17%. And the floor does never get started. So that layer never of, of yeast never um, takes and never takes in the barrels. It, the, the wine oxidatively ages. And when, when it's in contact with oh, the oxygen, it starts turning brown and you get, you start to get flavors like, you know, burnt sugar, caramel, coffee, molasses, nuts, like those kind of things. Um, and it, and it, it gets really complex that way too. Right. So all these go through that same Solera system that we talked about, right. When the cellar master is tasting through the neutral barrels, because because there is variation within the neutral barrels before sorry the neutral wine before it goes into Solera, he the cellar master will set aside a certain batch and say, oh these should be aged biologically and these should be aged oxidatively, okay, um, 
there's within within uh so if you guys are even still following me biologically aged sherry there's pheno sherry in, in manzanilla there's oxidative it's oloroso right and and they're very different one is the the first the biologically aged ones the pheno and manzanilla are super fresh they're younger typically and they're um they're clear or more clear in color, whereas the oxidative age ones are brown, dark brown, and like uh, coffee brown almost. Um, uh, but then there is there's another kind of sherry in the middle called Amontillado, right? And Amontillado is um, they take they'll take basically a sherry that starts as fino sherry that is aged being aged biologically, and while after it is been after it has been aged. Uh, biologically for a few years they will then spike it with brandy the, the yeast dies and goes away and then it's aged oxidatively so you get a combination of both um you know like i said the the bready dough the bread dough the green apple the cheese but you also get that like caramelly kind of quality to it and then that brings me to the wine uh pairing that i have today which is the Paulo Cortado. Okay. <laughs> wow. Okay. Okay. So Paulo <laughs> Cortado. Okay. Yes. Yes. Okay. I cannot wait for this. I cannot okay. wait for this. Yeah. So that was, that was a masterclass. <laughs> Paulo, so I, I don't, I normally charge for this kind of information, right? But anyways, yeah. 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 Information. yeah, yeah. This is for free. <laughs> oh, no. Paulo Cortado was our barrels that are set aside to be biologically aged like Fino and Manzanilla, right? They're set aside that way, but for some reason, and this is the thing, this is the craziest thing. No one understands why, but for some reason, the yeast will just not take in certain barrels. And, and, and it's basically like a accident, a mistake that happens in the winery. And it's supposed to take this yeast is supposed to form there because I, I guess the way um, people set them aside is if they taste, if it's more like, if it tastes fresher and more like um, has more salinity or whatever it is, whatever qualities you want out of a fresher sherry, um, you set it aside and you expect it to the, the yeast layer to form and it continues its life that way. But for some reason, something just doesn't go right and it's uncontrolled and the yeast never takes in those barrels okay um and and they're not they're not putting yeast in they're not inoculating the, the yeast into the into the wines this is all ambient yeast that's floating around in the in the just the atmosphere of the of the cellar right and for some reason it doesn't like a certain batch and it doesn't take on it and it ends up being aged oxidatively because for some fluke reason the floor never took right that's it's super rare it only it's like a few barrels here and there that happen that way but what what results is um it, it's it's a wine that is super rich because it's aged ox oxidatively but it's it's savory it's um and it's i don't know it, there's it, there's a saltiness to it as well and it has like characteristics of both but it's it's meaty it's um and it's typical it's not really the typical um descriptions of wines that people would enjoy like meaty savory or whatever but uh what happens is it's so unique and so special and it's uh it's actually the most expensive style of sherry that is is made because 
it's not, it doesn't happen naturally and you can't control it. Right. So that's kind of what oh, Palomitado wow. is. Right. So basically that's, that's really where I'm going to end with talk, geeking out. Um, but yeah, we, why I chose Palo Cortado is because if you think about the origins of Sherry, it starts as this like really boring grape um, and a boring wine and it gets influenced in, you know, um, so many ways throughout its, pro- its, pro- its lifetime, right? And sometimes it's, this is, um, like I said, the Solaris can be 100-year-old Solaris or whatever, and it, gets, it continues to get mixed with different experiences. But like when I think about, you know, my life and, and the experiences I've had, right, there's always still that core of, you know, I've, I've been certainly influenced by a lot of experiences along the way and I've learned and I've, and I've grown, but there's still that core of who we are that is still there. And, um, and there's things that happen in our lives that are not, you know, we can plan it out all we want. Um, but sometimes there's uncontrollable factors that, that we're pushed into. Right. And as those things impact our lives, like what happens and, you know, like, like we talked about, I mean, that's really the MK story often, right. Rather than running from it or, 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 um, being uncomfortable with it. I think there's a level of accepting uh, of it, um, that when we do that, we can find something like really incredibly unique and, and incredibly special. There you go. Holy no, no, that is, that is the essence of life unwasted, right? Like, mm like you would have thrown that wine out, you know, that was a mistake. That was a error. That was, um, wasn't the way it was supposed to happen. It wasn't the way you were supposed to grow up. It wasn't, it didn't fit what was, what other people would consider normal, but it is the thing that defines you and learning to, to live with it and grow with it and accept that full part of yourself as you move forward is, is what a beautiful way to wrap up this season, Tim. And, and Keith, so we asked Keith uh, a very similar question and he, he uh, picked the tree for the show, which is a redbud tree. Um, and I believe you have one in, in your yard. And uh, our, our call to action previously was sit under a redbud tree or a tree and drink a glass of Chateauneuf to pop. Oh my goodness. But, but this time, um, <laughs> I think that it's such a, uh, Paolo Cortado, is it? Um, Paolo Cortado Sherry. That's perfect. Yeah. Yes. With a friend. With a friend. Yeah. Mm-hmm. With a friend. If, if anyone wants to um, drink the Sherry, don't, don't go out and buy Harvey's Bristol Cream Sherry or any kind of cream Sherry. <laughs> Those are those are the gross ones. Look for dry yeah. sherry. It doesn't matter if it's the biological age ones, the finos, manzanillas, or the amontillado, or olorosos, or pop. Yeah. They're all amazing. Yeah. Okay. Tim, anyway, that's it. <laughs> it's been awesome, and we hit our time on the nose. Um, human final thoughts for the season. It has been a journey. We thank yeah. you everyone for joining us and gracing us with your special presence and stories tim palo cortado sherry what a hit 
what a way to finish. Yeah. Thank you guys. As always, letting me come on again. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, Tim. And thank you for just sharing with us um, what this journey has been like for you. You know, I, Kevin and I have been pretty clear, like, you know, for myself personally, we started this show because I needed this. I needed to reconnect with my past. Like I needed to connect with other MKs and hear their stories and, and hear their journey. And Cuman, I think we're over 50 interviews at this point. You know, you add in the, the extra phone calls that we've taken just to talk with MKs. We're probably double that. Um, and it has been a journey of healing. And I want to thank everybody that's listening to the show everyone that has been on the show for just um, making time for this and, and uh, being accepting of everyone else in this community. We have not had any negativity at all <laughs> related to our show. It's been nothing but acceptance of one another and support. And you're all just beautiful, special people. And um, yeah, we're just, I'm, I feel very blessed to, to, um, to go we, through this process. We will be coming back with season four, most probably. Mm -hmm. That will be later in the fall. So expect us maybe in October, sometime in October. Something like that. Yeah. Something we don't like really that. have a plan. We don't really have a plan. So if you have suggestions for guests, um, if you have, uh, you know, as always, um, on, on, on Facebook messenger or, uh, Twitter or reach out to us, send us a voicemail with a, a crazy MK story. We've slipped a couple of those in this season and, uh, yeah, keep those coming in and, uh, yeah, we love you guys. All right. Yes. Are we ready to play ourselves out here? Simon and Garfunkel, the only living boy in New York. <laughs> Wait, Doko Vanguard? Yeah, on oh, the yeah. count of three. One, two, three. Go Vanguard. Go, Go Vanguard. Vanguards. <laughs>